Welcome to another episode of Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I am your host, Ava, and I'm delighted to have Andre and Jeremy with me today. Welcome to Exploring Art Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about the case study that was assigned to us about the artist, abstract expressionist artist, Jackson Pollock. In 1939 to 1940, Jackson Pollock gave his analyst a series of 43 drawings as a means of expressing himself. The analyst, Dr. J. Henderson, sold the drawings in 1959 to a San Francisco art gallery, but Pollock's widow, Lee Krasner, objected to having them publicly exhibited. She said, quote, anything that goes on between analyst and patient is private, about as private as a confessional, unquote. Pollock's widow died in 1985. Should her wishes concerning her husband's drawings be respected, or is it appropriate to exhibit them now? Should her wishes have been respected prior to her death, or would it have been all right to exhibit the drawings despite his objections since she did not own them? Was the analyst justified for selling the drawings in the first place, or should he have kept them and had them destroyed at his own death. Does the fact that these drawings were a part of Pollock's therapy have any bearing on their status as art? So those are a lot of questions, uh, mostly ethics-based, um, especially when it concerns uh, posthumous property, and it, then it becomes kind of a legal thing. But I think we're going to move on to that a little bit later. Uh, Jackson Pollock originally was born uh, in 1912 in Wyoming, but ended up growing up in Arizona and Southern California after his mother moved into the San Diego area right after he was born. And he did end up dying in 1956, New York. He, I think he was the youngest of like five siblings. So he had a very, very large family. Um, but he did end yeah. up going to art school with his younger, with his brother uh, in New York. So he was always around like big cities uh, and he didn't really spend most of his time in the West or in the Midwest. Yeah, he said his uh, his parents actually died. So like like within a year of each other, so he got adopted. And that's why he moved over to Southern California. Yeah, so yeah. moved around a lot as a young child. That definitely affected and, how he- Yeah, that definitely could have had an effect on his mental capacity in some sort. Because he did die, like later on you figure out that he actually did die from uh, a drunken accident in a car. So ve okay. vehicular homicide to himself. And I think it was one other person as well. There were like three people inside the car and it killed himself. And there was more. Yeah, it was three people in the car. Two, there was three people in the car. Survived. Yeah. What, what I also heard is that the, uh, well, what I read is that the the uh, the wife was in Europe when it happened, Lee Krasner. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And apparently she came right wrong. back right after she figured out about it. Um, but it was actually. Pollock's mistress, like the girl he was cheating on his wife with, that's who was in the car, and she was the only person who survived. Um, yeah, that's right. 
So that's kind of how his legacy is looking right now. Oh, and uh, um, he, he also crashed uh, uh, less than a mile away from his home. I don't know if you guys knew that. That's that's tragic. He lived yeah. at East Hampton. He was out in Long Island. Fun fact, actually, that house that he lived in with his wife in East Hampton was paid for by Peggy Guggenheim. So the lady who... Uh, I mean, the Guggenheim Museum, right? Yeah, the museum, the foundation. And she actually... Uh, basically started his career and started introducing him to all these different investors along with his wife. Um, she paid for their house, which I think is kind of crazy. I also yeah. read that he got expelled from uh, two high schools when he was growing up. So, you know, his, his, the way he grew up definitely affected how he acted when he was an adult, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. He got suspended from a regular, I mean, he got expelled from a regular high school and an art school. Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently, so he was seeing uh, Dr. Joseph Henderson uh, because he fell into like really severe alcoholism and depression. So he started to work with this doctor who sort of like continued to encourage him to make art while doing Jungian psychotherapy, which is kind of like an offshoot of Freudian ideologies. Um, and I guess that was like an art therapy kind of track that he wanted to put him on. So that's where uh, the ethics question of like the owned art versus like what he made in uh, intensive care. So that's what that question is asking about. Um, yeah, but the definition of Jungian therapy is sometimes known as Jungian analysis is an in-depth analytical form of talk therapy designed to bring together the conscious and unconscious part of the mind to help a person feel balanced and whole. Jungian therapy calls for clients to look at the real self rather than the self they present to the outside world. So, you know, basically put it on a first false personality. They're trying to, you know, do therapy for that. People who have, you know. That's definitely a really good way to, or I think it's a good way to treat what uh, Pollock was going through at the time, because apparently like in the fifties, they didn't really, have as advanced uh, understanding of mental illness as they do right now. So people, so currently, like people think that he might have had bipolar disorder as well, and that's probably what triggered the depression and the alcoholism. But of course, yeah. they didn't know that at the time. So I, I definitely think that his mental illnesses were warranted, though. You know, like after all of the stuff he didn't he didn't went through in his life, like his parents died. He grew up hard, you know, he was adopted by another family, got expelled from two schools. He grew up during World War II, you know, veterans also. But that's why Jungian therapy was actually so um, popular during the time because, you know, there was a lot of veterans who went through a lot in the war that needed help with their mind because they were all, they all had PTSD and all yeah. sorts of other things. Yeah, I think they just needed to um, have somebody to talk to back in the day because a lot of, like uh, Ava was saying, a lot of um, things that we have nowadays or, or a lot of people we talk to nowadays about our mental health and stuff like that wasn't around back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, he probably felt like, you know, he didn't have anybody to talk to really. Right. Yeah, that probably that probably was a good help for him. Mm 
Yeah, he actually ended up living through three of probably the worst American uh, historical events at the time. That was Great Depression that was when he grew up. Yeah, Great Depression, World War II, and then actually the Korean War, which uh, didn't totally affect uh, American citizens, but nonetheless, it was still like something that was going on at the time. So it was just Definitely kind of was. Shop. Yeah. Yeah, my um, grandfather was in the Korean War, so yeah, I know exactly. Oh wow, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. So I don't, I don't know if you guys mentioned it already, but um, Dr. Henderson, uh, he eradicated smallpox. I don't know if uh, that was mentioned already, but he also he uh, founded the International Childhood Vaccination Program. So, oh, reason wow. we get a lot of vaccines. Uh, he's now. a legend. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why we get vaccinated as kids is because of him. That's really good. So he was he was doing a lot of good work then. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, Jason Pollock's wife, Lee Krasner, she didn't really like the fact that uh, Dr. Henderson put up his paintings for sale to be publicly uh, exhibited, um, exhibited. Reason why is because she thought that, you know, you should respect the dead and respect his legacy. But because... All of his paintings that he did with Dr. Henderson that he released were all a part of his therapy at the time. So, you know, it goes to show like the morality of it, like should the art be released or not, you know, it's up to for someone to decide. But so he didn't have a will, did he? Like he didn't leave anything behind. They didn't have any they didn't have any kids together and they were going through a rocky marriage. So I don't think that like he would have left anything to his wife, even though technically they are um you know allowed each other's personal property because they were already married um right. i mean at 44 i mean i don't really think anybody thinks that they're gonna die at 44 you know no no i mean even all. though with all the the recent deaths and like people die kind of sooner but even then it's like you no one really expects that you're gonna die that quick like you know not everybody has a will no, but then that like just makes it even more mystifying to the fact that like we have no idea what he would have wanted. Um, right. But I mean, he was clearly kind of basking in his fame at the time. He was like, it wasn't one of those, you know, legacy and fame after death. Uh, like he was actively, you know, a celebrity kind of in, in the moment. He was a really high profile figure, especially in the New York art scene. Uh, because right. of his relationship with Peggy Guggenheim and all these other investors. Um, so maybe maybe he would have wanted them to go up or something. Maybe he was doing better in therapy at the time and, you know, right. with the work. Um, and his art, we, you know, we haven't talked about his art enough. His art was, you know, at the time it was revolutionary. You know, he was the first person, not the first person. Well, I don't know if he was the first person or not. I didn't go that deep into it, but I know he was one of the pioneers of, um, the splatter technique, like the drip technique, where you you know put the paint and then start splattering all over the place on the yeah, on the wall. And then, oh yeah, the drip the technique. Expressionist uh, artist, but I did read that he so he liked to paint like on the floor, like he would just put the canvas or the uh, the paper on the floor and, and just like dump paint on it. Yeah, and that actually came from indigenous North American and Mexican styles. Uh, so people were already doing it, but I guess, you know, he just brought it to New York. He experienced it in California and Arizona, like where he grew up. And I guess he brought that to New York and people thought that was revolutionary. Um, but that's where he said he learned it from. 
He also used a lot of different materials and mediums. I found this quote from Time Magazine in 1947. And he says, my painting does not come from the easel. I prefer to tack the unstretched canvas to the hard wall or the floor. I need the resistance of a hard surface. On the floor, I am more at ease. I feel nearer, more part of the painting since this way I can walk around it, work from the four sides and literally be in the painting. I continue to get further away from the usual painter's tools such as easel, palette, brushes, etc. I prefer sticks, trowels, knives, and dripping fluid paint or a heavy impasto with sand, broken glass, or other foreign matter added. And I did actually have to look up what impasto meant. And it's a technique where paint is just laid on very thick and sometimes mixed right onto the canvas to give more like dimension and texture. You can sometimes see it like once it dries, like if you looked at a uh, like a painting up close sometimes, um, it's very, very obvious. Uh, so the bigger the canvas, the more obvious it gets, I'm sure. Um, and he actually learned that from his wife because she was mostly a collage artist. And she yeah, used- Yeah, so Lee Krasner was also a pioneer in abstract expressionism. Mm -hmm. She was born in 1908 to uh, Russian and Jewish refugees. And she, you know, used to live in Brooklyn where she started her art. She's also uh, six of seven children. So, oh, really? A lot of big families back in the day, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, fun fact she actually went to Cooper Union, uh, which is like a really prominent art school here in the I'm really? originally from New York. Um, and Cooper Union used to be free, like a free tuition school up until like 2010, and then they stopped. So, um but i guess that's where that's where her legacy lands yeah so i i also read about lee krasner that um the new the new deals federal art project uh enabled her to work full-time as an artist from 1934 to 1943 so she was a full-time artist for about nine years under under that federal art project and um, she also learned the technique uh, from another painter by the name of Hans Hoffman. Um, she learned a technique that Pablo Picasso used to use, which was called synthetic cubism. Synthetic cu cubism began when cubist artists started using textures and patterns in their paintings and experimenting with the collage form. So yeah, that's where she learned that technique of uh, the use of collages and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, and I guess she also, thought uh, her husband more about that once they started creating together. Right. She met her husband in uh, 1942. I don't know if that was said. Oh, no, not yet. Um, I also yeah. uh, have, have it written down that she was uh, considered to be in her husband's shadow for a long time after his death until... Um, 1981 where she had she held an art show with all of her pieces and it was really made known uh during that show that she was a very good artist herself that's good i'm glad she got the recognition that she deserves and that she's been working hard for for a while right. but then she only died like four years later so she didn't even get to live through the fame i guess that much well, no, she died in 1984. Oh, sorry. I thought you said uh, 81. 
81 was uh, when she held her show. Oh, yes. Yeah, so in New York. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, she died in 1984 in June. And you know what's crazy is their house is still in uh, Long Island, New York. Yeah. They call it the, the uh, Paula Krasner house. Oh, wow. Should go out there and see it. Do people um, visit? Do people visit as like uh they have it as like I think a, they can, yeah. Looking at it here, it says you can visit it, but it's temporary closed right now. I guess uh, for the uh, for the season. But it's East, East eight, the address is eight thirty Springs Fireplace Road, East Hampton, New York, uh zip code one one nine three seven. So oh, if you wow. want to go <laughs> head over. Yeah. Probably see some nice art. True. Yeah, and I think they're buried outside uh together like I, I don't think their grades are super elaborate i saw a picture um but they are actually they're very yeah together. and the house is not like ridiculously big either it's, i mean it's uh it's 1.56 acres and it's like a barn next to it but it's not like a ridiculously big house you know no but i guess that's like a normal size for a studio especially if they're using raw materials like that yeah Actually, if you look inside the house, there's like a lot of paint on the floor, probably oh, from, you know, years of painting. I just looked it up, actually, and the house is only about two hours from me, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Just go take some pictures or something once it opens up. Wait, Ava, you said you're from New York? Yeah, I'm originally from New York and I'm based here right now, so. Oh, that's cool. Okay. I'm from Queens. I was born oh, there. Yeah. My family's from New York too. Nice. Yeah. Not me personally. I'm from Connecticut, but my family's from New York. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So going back to the case study questions, um, give a little opinion now that we have thoroughly researched Pollock and his life and the surrounding relationships that he held. Um, should Lee Krasner's wishes concerning her husband's drawings be respected. Personally, I think so, because that was, you know, that was art made in confidentiality and shared privately with Dr. Henderson. And even though he was a very successful doctor and scientist and he continued to go on to do great things, um, and clearly made an, a really like successful impact, you know, on his community. Um, I don't think that's something that should be put in a museum because like you don't have consent from patient. You clearly don't have consent from, uh, you know, the surviving spouse. Um, and that definitely violates some HIPAA laws probably, <laughs> but yeah. you know, at the sake of like, this was a great artist. We deserve to see more of his work. Um, I still think that at least they should be held privately. I just don't think they should be like exhibited publicly. Because um, doing a little bit more looking really fast. Um, apparently in the late like 90s, people started picking up like Pollock lookalikes at thrift stores, Salvation Army. You that's, know, uh, that's every artist though. Every artist is going to have some lookalikes. It's just the way the world is. Everybody's going to make yeah, something that you... they were real like people just never knew about them and oh, really? they started, yeah they started using like fractal software um to uh, it's basically pattern recognition 
but they started using that to determine whether or not it was a real or a fake and most of them actually ended up being real um so yeah and I, you said that like that always happens like there's unfinished works unreleased drafts um still when especially after an artist passes away like they do that a lot with music it's like oh there's like this was the person's last drafts um th those probably weren't ready to be seen by the world that's why they were drafts. you know they're yeah. like meant to be private and even if a death is untimely or it was you know you saw it coming i don't know like, i could see if the family i could see if the family said okay let's uh you know let's show the work now but if it's not like close family or anyone really close to them like close friends or anything like that i don't think like you have to let them decide whether they want to show that you can't just be a doctor and just violate yeah patient you know confidentiality and then continue to go sell paintings to other people and show their work like that's yeah. not something that you should do no i think yeah. But also, I don't think he had any closer relationships than that because of his addictions, his alcoholism. Yeah, and he probably pushed a lot of people away. Yeah, I don't think he had anybody left other than his wife. Like, his family was adopted. Or, well, but even his... then, the wife objected to it, so why is, why is that out there, you know? So they should have asked her first because she was still alive at the time. This this happened and he sold the paint the drawings in 1959. Key word, he sold them for money. I could see if he donated it, but no, he sold them for money. So he made a profit off right. of somebody else's art that he was, you know, treating. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's okay. I uh I definitely agree with you guys um on that part. Uh, the only thing I will say is that uh, I think if there were to be some type of research for research purposes or anything like that regarding to his mental health and his mental status, I think that could be a reason why one would look at his uh, paintings when he did those paintings in the therapy that he got. Maybe just to see what his mind, you know, what, what the mind of somebody in that mental state would, would have been like. You know, um, so for research purposes, you know, not to the public or anything, I think it would be OK. But to sell it as profit, stuff like that, that's outright wrong. Yeah, like uh, the, like for the culture, I understand why that's, you know, why why he would do it. But just yeah. for profit, like that's not cool at all. Yeah. I don't think that really sits well with anybody. Right. And yeah, like Ava said, a lot of uh music artists nowadays that uh, have untimely deaths a lot of their projects and drafts and stuff like that get leaked yeah, maybe they didn't want everything. it to be leaked in the first place maybe they didn't want you know they, it was a draft for a reason so mm -hmm. definitely agree with you guys on that i mean i think if they were to be returned to maybe his school that he graduated from i feel like that would be a nice full circle kind of moment yeah. um but again, you said like he got thrown out of schools a lot. So maybe the school didn't want his work uh, based on right. his. And his background was kind of ridiculous because he wasn't just an alcoholic. He wasn't, uh, they said that he was a violent alcoholic. Like he used to oh. fight and right. yell and scream and do a whole yeah. bunch of extra that can, stuff. That can ruin a lot of like 
important, important relationships, especially with surrounding family and stuff like that. So, and that type of stuff is taxing on other people. Like, I don't know if you guys have family members, like, kind of like that, but like everybody has them, you know. But it's just like when you have to deal with somebody like that, it's tiring. Like, it takes from your life energy, you know. I'm sure his wife was was exhausted, and that's probably why she was away in Europe, you know, focusing on her own career because she just that was kind of the only thing she had left. Right. Wow. Yeah, his his life is clearly not easy. Uh, he clearly had a lot to go through. Um, Definitely burned down a lot of bridges on the way. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't all bad. You know, he was a good, great artist. You know, he, he got to express himself. Not a lot of people get the opportunities that he, you know, was true. given. That is yeah. true. Yeah, Especially it with that many chances. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you get two strikes and it's, it's over, you know? Honestly. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andre and Jeremy. I really appreciate it. This concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Art Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon. And remember to stay curious.